Welcome to another episode of Dice Talk. For this episode, we have a special guest, Joseph Timmis. So Joseph, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners, uh, tell them a little bit about yourself, a little bit about the things that you're involved with, and you know, just let us know who you are. Okay. Well, I'm Joseph Timmis. Um, I'm the director of the Nerd Asylum and the, um, the one-time event Dralicon. Uh, we had to switch to an online convention going forward, but uh, that's a fun time. Uh, I'm just another nerd having a good time pretending to be professional. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what that's like. <laughs> yeah, I'm just uh, just another one of one of everyone else. Um, you know, I'm involved in a lot of different uh, communities: the One Shot Onslaught, uh, Lawful Stupid. Uh, but Nerd Asylum is my home base. That's where I hang out. We've kind of been doing some some nerdy things for about three years together now as a group and things have started kind of taking on a life of their own and becoming um a production company where we're doing animated projects we're doing podcasts streaming charity events all kinds of different things oh wow so it's moved just way beyond even just doing like streaming and recording and things like that yeah and so what kind of things are you animating is it like tabletop related content that you then add animation to or are you like making web series or what's going on with that we are actually starting a um an animated series a three season 20 episode per season um half hour episodes uh story arc that we are it's more a story collaborative story effort than it is a game focused uh, mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. um, we've got a, a whole crew coming on to do a pilot episode. And then once we have a pilot episode to present to everyone, we're going to hopefully do a Kickstarter so that we can pay people for their time and effort in this project because it is such a time involving project. Yeah. It sounds like it'd be a lot of work. Like you don't not only do you have to write it and then you have to record it, but then like, you know, I've done painting and stuff. I couldn't imagine having to draw and animate multiple episodes you said three seasons are already in the works that is the plan yes i think it's fascinating how um we could sort of type some, somewhat of our experience with the majestic goose network uh as it now is mm -hmm. as to how how things can sort of snowball really quickly as soon as you have a few a few willing individuals willing to put the time in um how quickly you can get these kind of projects off the ground really yeah and i guess that sort of is illustrates the, the topic that, that we're discussing today um, of community, just how um, it sort of it takes a long time to become an overnight success, I guess, but it's, it, it happens sort of <laughs> organically. Yes. Yes, it does. Uh, it's amazing. The willingness of people to work together on a project to see something to fruition mm. when you have that established relationship with people, it's not just, it's not just a, a money-making thing for them. It's a, Hey, I enjoy working with this person. I enjoy spending time with this person. I'd like to spend more time with this person. And this project sounds really cool. So I want to be involved. That's what it kind mm. of turns into. Absolutely. And I think that's the good thing about sort of the D&D the or uh, role-playing community in general is um, there are so many really talented, amazing, kind-hearted people who just get enthusiastic about um, projects and and freely donate their time and artistic um, talents to to these causes, and I can sp I can only speak for myself. But I'm I'm sure that I'm not alone when I say that you know I, I'm not in this to make money. I do it because um, I've made some really great friends and I'm enthusiastic about the source material and I want to broadcast that to to the world. And I think you know, like I say, I can't speak for everybody, but I'm pretty sure that I'm not unique in that. Yeah, I think anybody that runs a podcast in a community that does several podcasts or projects like this will tell you that it's it's not a money maker. No. <laughs> it's probably a money loser. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the amount of investment and time and and, you know, software and hosting for your podcast or stream or whatever, the the, the amount of time and money that you spend on these projects probably far outweighs the money that you bring in through Patreon or Kofi. I mean, there are some successful groups out there. I'm mm. not, you know, that can bring money in for their projects, but a lot of us, it's more the passion of what we're doing than it is about the money. Absolutely. I, I don't think there's anything wrong. If you are able to make money doing this, then, I, you know, all power to you. Um, but uh, it's, it's not why a lot of us are are in the the thing to begin with. Um, it is it is that sense of right. community and being able to be 
uh, belong to something sort of bigger than yourself. And just to, you know, I, if it hadn't been for the internet, for instance, I never would have um, met all of you wonderful people. And I would be having this un- really unfulfilled itch that needed scratching to sort of, you know, exercise my creativity. So I think, you know, it's it's great for um, your sort of individual mental well-being as well. I think that kind of... Uh, that sense of uh, of community and uh, belonging. I think that this sort of thing is absolutely a passion project. And it's really hard to not, like you said, you kind of snowball and get mm. involved in so many things so quickly. It's hard not to. It's it's like, it's so much fun. Um, and it, it is work and it is time, but it's a hobby and you enjoy it. And it's like, it really is, you know, you have one opportunity and then that opens doors because people play with you or they just see you and they like your style or they just see that you seem friendly or you get involved in their community online. The next thing you know, you're doing a podcast and a stream over here, and then you're, you know, you're recording some sort of video for Twitch or writing a module, running a convention. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it gets, it's crazy. Yeah. And the amount of projects that get kicked off as jokes mm. just, it still surprises me. Like somebody will joke about, hey, we should do this. And then it becomes a thing because the community grabs on and says, yes, I agree. This should be a thing. And people volunteer to participate in it. And now, you have yet another project to work on because someone made a joke. Yeah. And I think that's great. Yeah, me too. I really do. Um, it's just how <laughs> you feel like you ha- you feel obligated. If, if more than three people say that's a really good idea. So, well, okay, <laughs> it's got to happen now. Um, so, yeah, fortunately, those people usually um, are be the first to volunteer to be involved. So that's mm-hmm. good. <laughs> so that's good. <laughs> So a lot of the things that the Nerd Asylum is involved with goes well beyond just playing Dungeons and Dragons. So like what kind of things do you do besides Dungeons and Dragons? I know you mentioned the cartoon, but are there some tabletop games you really enjoy that, you know, maybe are a step away from just fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons? Yeah, we're kind of starting to open up um, because I have a a love for all things creepy and horror vibe-ish. And Mm. if you've ever played a game with me as a DM, you know that I tend to lean into those kind of elements in D&D. So uh, things like Call of Cthulhu and Vampire the Masquerade kind of are my style. And we're starting to open up into some of these other indie games that are coming out um, because there's there's so many options out there. And it's okay if you enjoy D&D and that's your thing and you don't want to learn a new system, you're absolutely welcome to focus on one system and, and enjoy what you enjoy. But we want to offer the opportunities to play some of these other games to people that mm. may not have that opportunity. So we have a very large um, looking for game community and active um, community in that aspect. And we're also teaming up with uh, Demiplane.com. This is a new application that is, for lack of better description, it's like Tinder for nerds. Oh. Um, it will ask you a bunch of questions about your play style and mm-hmm. your preferred uh, you know, genre and game type, and it'll match you up with other players and DMs based on their algorithm that they have um, that matches you up based on your, uh, your individual profile. Wow. And they have all sorts of systems available, not just D&D, but Call of Cthulhu, uh, Vampire, uh, the Fate system. There, there's thousands of people that are constantly looking for games on there, and we're, we're kind of using that to help introduce people to other game types. I think that's a really good idea. I mean, the, certainly the biggest barrier for me to get back into role-playing after such a long time away from it was just I didn't know anybody who would be bothered to play with me. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it, it was only through putting myself out there and joining the discards and things like that and, and doing that that I was able to sort of look into meeting some fine people but anything that can facilitate that i think is a great idea and the more people playing the better yeah and the internet helps in that aspect because you don't have to go to your local game store and find those Mm -hmm. nerds you can go on the internet and find thousands of people looking for a game but you're kind of limited and you take a risk when you're meeting with a stranger that you don't know what type of game they like you don't know what kind of personality they have and this kind of helps to alleviate a little bit of that because they have that algorithm that okay, this is the type of game you're looking for that you like, and these are the other people that also enjoy this type of game. Sure. And it kind of matches you up with people of similar interest. Yeah, I've, that's a really, really great idea. I don't really have much more to add to that. That's a, I wish it had been around um, <laughs> 10 years ago. Well, this isn't 
we're we're kind of teaming up again. This is demiplane dot uh, dot com. So it's it's a free service. Anybody can sign up for it, um, and, and it's it's really good because, like I said, it just matches you up with like minded nerds. Well, if you're listening to this and you um, are looking to get into new games or you wanted to dip your toe into playing online and that sort of thing, then check it out by all means. Um, it sounds like a really good idea and I wish it had been around 10 years ago. I might have not stopped playing. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's an amazing resource because prior to getting involved with a lot of these Discord communities, where is where I primarily find a lot of my games these days, mm-hmm. um, I was on, and I still do use Roll20. I would go to the Roll20 website, um, which is an online platform that's pretty popular. And it does have a system for finding games. It just takes some time. Usually, if you want to play a game tomorrow, you're not going to. You can probably schedule a game for next week and then start having a, you know, repeating actual D&D group. But once again, you're taking a risk. You don't know the play style. You're investing time and effort. You're making a character. You're meeting these people. Um, but with these, like, online communities, like, we're mainly involved with the One-Shot Onslaught Discord, which I think might soon be moved over to just the Majestic Goose Discord. I'm not sure. That's, yeah, that's where we all are, anyway. I know you do Nerd Asylum. But these these communities are how, you know, I mm-hmm. meet people, and you get to know people, and you play a one-shot here or there, and then you decide, do I want to be in a permanent campaign with them? But what what this thing that you're talking about, that sounds awesome. I You know, it's one of those things that I feel like we've always wished mm-hmm. existed. I'm really glad somebody stepped out and did that. Yeah, I uh, I currently use it for all my recruiting just because I can put it on there, um, you know, that this is the type of game and I don't have to worry about people misunderstanding what sure. what it is that I want to sure. do with my game. Wow. <laughs> I'm still taken aback by that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to digest that. Repress 10 years worth of longing. <laughs> <laughs> I think... Because the community, the wider community that we, you know, we talk about, we can see reflections of that within game. And I think one of the interesting things that, you know, uh, about playing role playing games is that um, they are a mirror to how we, um, how we see, see the world in some respects. And as you say, the, you know, there are people out there who I might have uh, strong disagreements with about uh, the way certain things work um, and how, or how they should be. But um, being able to sort of screen for that, I guess, before you even start is would be a, a fantastic thing, um, because uh, <laughs> the the last thing the world needs is more uh, people shouting at each other right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think a I don't think a screen system like that, where you're the person putting in what you like and what you don't like, is is any sort of like like exclusivity. No. Like I think the people that, you know, one person might really like combat scenarios. Another sure. person might not like that at all. And so it, it's probably better for both people if they're not involved in the same group, depending on what the focus of the role play is. So if you know, you're coming into a campaign, that's going to be a lot of combat and that's your thing. That's good. Um, so it's not like to exclude the people that might prefer role player, prefer combat or prefer whatever. It's, it really kind of helps out both sides of the party, I think. Yeah, it's a match up people who are interested in similar things, want the same same thing out of a game. Um, you know, DMing is a juggling act at the best of times, I think, if you know, <laughs> cutting out as, as many potential flashpoints as there could possibly be before you start uh, can only be a good thing. Yeah, and you can get in there and change the, uh, the preferences. So it, it's not like a locked-in thing. Say you want to play a game where... I want a lot of combat. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm very fighty today and I want some combat. You can change your preferences to reflect that and then find games that match that preference. And then, yeah, sure. okay, now today I'm not really feeling like I want to do any combat. I want to do all role play. You can get in there and you can change that. So it's not excluding. Mm-hmm. It's helping you find what you're looking for. Yeah, in any, any individual game yeah. or any given game. Yeah. Fantastic. Which helps build stronger communities because when you're not having those moments where you're expecting the type of game <laughs> uh you know where you go in and you want to you want to do combat but this game is all role play that leaves a sour taste in your mouth and then that community is affected that sure. way so it helps kind of solidify the communities in building stronger games and stronger communities yeah, I think that's again. I think that's half the battle of sort of DMing or community management in any. Cause the, uh, DM DMing round the table is is community management, a, a microcosm yeah. of community management essentially. Um, and it's a lot of balls to juggle, uh, plates to keep spinning, and some people don't like plates, and some people don't like balls, and you've got to <laughs> <laughs> you've got to manage those expectations. 
Um, if you'll pardon the turn of phrase there. <laughs> yeah, no, I 100% agree. Uh, being a DM is is very much like being a community manager on a, on a micro scale. You have a lot of things that you have to take into consideration, a lot of different perspectives mm. that you have to empathize with. Um, I think that's a community leaders need to have empathy, just like DMs, for different perspectives. Because when you're leading a community, you have to, whether it's 30 people or whether it's 30,000 people, you have different perspectives from each person that you have to then kind of not manage, but kind of wrangle in and make sure that they're yeah. all getting along, um, you know, during the time that you're together. Absolutely. That's not a negative thing. That's just an inevitable part of um, human beings interacting with each other. Uh, yeah, everyone's got absolutely. everyone's got a different perspective and different likes and dislikes and um and that's what makes somebody unique exactly. is their perspective so you can have groups of people that get together and they're have similar interests and have similarities um but each individual is going to have a different perspective based on their life experiences sure. and you have to empathize with that and be able to okay i understand this is where you're coming from and this is what the group wants to do but you know, it, you kind of have to be able to empathize from all different perspectives and accept that there are different perspectives than what you're used to. Absolutely. And I think that um, really sort of illustrates how important safety tools are in gaming. For some reason, this is, seems to be a controversial subject. I don't really understand why. Well, I can tell you from the beginning, um, I was skeptical because, you know, as a person who prides themselves on being empathetic, towards other people's perspectives, I thought, well, what would I need safety tools for? I, I don't understand it. Sure. But as I did the research and as I met people and as the community grew and I saw that there are other perspectives that, you know, maybe I hadn't seen before, I realized that you have to have that communication and sometimes people can't communicate yeah. what they're afraid of or what their triggers are or what their issues might be in a community. So those safety tools are not there for you. They're there for everyone else. Absolutely. And you have to be able to respect that it's not about you. It's about everyone else in your community. Absolutely. So, you know, from, from, a, from a perspective that, you know, what do you need safety tools for if you're a nice person? It's not about you being a nice person and being respectful. It's about the community in general. Yeah, and their degree of comfort in uh, communicating potential trigger points or things that, you know, they they don't like. Absolutely. Um, in a way that's safe and uh, respectful. Um but I see I I see exactly where you're coming from because it's easy for us being the people that we are as, you know, I've not not to beat around the bush, a bunch of like uh white guys um to sort of just go, well, it was why do I need to do that? And I think that actually does kind of carry over um, in some people. But this is why, because it's not for our benefit, <laughs> who might not have a problem with such and such being discussed, because we've got to recognize our own privilege. I think that's the thing. Without trying to be political, I think it's just a, a question of um, fundamental respect for other members of your community. Right. You just have to remember it's not about you, it's about the people that you're at the table with. Yeah, and it doesn't make and you their a, comfort. It doesn't make you a bad person unless you're deliberately going out of your way to um upset people. And if you've right. taken that into consideration before you even start, then that's not gonna happen. And it never hurts to just ask a question. You might because like you said, yeah. it's not about like, oh, you're a mean person, you're a nice person. You might say something that you just never thought would be a trigger for someone that maybe went through a traumatic experience and then suddenly they're not having fun anymore. Uh, maybe it's as simple as a room starts filling with water. Maybe that person's been in a situation like that in real life, and that's a real bad trigger for them. And that could completely take them out of out of having fun, out of like enjoying the game. So I think just asking questions is just part of trying to be a good community leader. And whether that's uh, five people around a table or 35 kids mm -hmm. in a classroom or 600 people on a Discord server, I think showing that you are willing to like, I'm here to... I want to know if you have any questions or concerns. I'm here to change. Letting people know you're willing to adapt for them and it's not your way, you know, my way or the highway mm -hmm. type deal. I think that goes 
a long way in itself, just having that willingness to do that and making it clear that you are willing to do these things. There shouldn't be anything shameful about being empathetic. Exactly. A hundred percent agree with that. Because you might be trying to, you know, create a certain feeling, like if you're running Call of Cthulhu and you want to really kind of mm-hmm. create this sense of dread or horror, that's good. But but it is also good to know where these limits lie, because if, if you're to the point where you're affecting someone else's emotional or mental health or simply just they're not having fun anymore, you know, that's a concern because that's why you're here. Yeah. Yes. And those and those triggers can change from episode to episode or session yeah, to session. So just because you know that these are the triggers, these are the things to avoid doesn't mean you won't run into something else during the session that they may or may not feel comfortable saying. So keeping that line of communication consistently open and revisiting those topics and making sure, okay, one of the things that I've started doing, because we do a um, a Curse of Strahd on Thursdays called Barovia mm. Beckons, and that is a very, um, it's a horror-themed module, right? There's a lot of possible triggers in that module. So one of the things that I make sure that I do is after each session, hey, was everything okay with that? Do I need to avoid anything in the future? You you know, just a wrap up, a safety kind of wrap up with, because especially during a stream, you have to read body language and you have to Mm. be reading people during the stream to make sure they're having a good time. Yeah. But then after they're off the camera, you know, and because that pressure of being on the stream, they might not be comfortable throwing an X card or throwing a, a hey, let's move on. Yeah. In such a public forum. Yeah. In such a public forum. Yes. Um, so do a wrap up afterwards and make sure, hey, was everything okay? Did we cross any lines? Do we have to go back and change anything that happened? Um, because there are things that will come up that, that, sh- that weren't brought up in session zero. You know what I mean? Sure. You can't you can't um legislate for absolutely every everything. Um, right. It's just something that you have as as we say, you have to you just have to manage it um as best you can while you're doing it. And I think with streaming and podcasting as well, that um as we uh also uh are in Roll for Weird, which is also um horror <laughs> themed in, in many respects. <laughs> I mean we sort of have laugh have laughs as well, but um there have been some extremely um serious uh moments that um could have been quite unpleasant for certain people if they didn't been handled so well um but again that's down to communication um either during um if you feel comfortable doing that or at least you know before let setting out exactly what it is if you feel comfortable doing that that to avoid during um if you feel comfortable doing xing or black carding or what you know whatever it is that you do um and then afterwards to to sort of digest what's happened because you, as we said we can't legislate for absolutely every um narrative twist that so things might take and what something that might upset you know something that might upset me on a particularly bad day might be fine another time but that's you know that's part of being if you're playing we're play, at the end of the day we're playing a game with our friends um Doing it in public on a stream or in a podcast means sort of adds an, another sort of level of um, it becomes more sort of like a production rather than uh, a game sometimes, and I think it's easy to sort of overlook, um, lose track of the fact that you're sitting at a table with, with friends. Yeah, exactly. And there are people's actual real feelings involved and invested in these characters and uh, situations that we spend you know so many hours building. But again, that's just. It's, it's just something to to consider as a as a DM and as a player, just to be mindful of other people's um, and respectful of other people's feelings. That's one of the things that I think I struggle with the most right now is when you do because sitting at a table playing with your friends. Obviously, you already have that respect for those people at the mm-hmm. table with you because you're friends, right? Now, when you bring an audience in to either listen to your podcast or watch your stream. You now have strangers at the table with you mm-hmm. that may have triggers that you won't have the ability to see an X card or see body language sure. with. Um, with our Barovia beckons, we we have a lot of elements that involve children mm-hmm. because there are children in Barovia, and not knowing the audience triggers is kind of 
it's a balance between being able to to bring those horror elements and not make them to the point where I'm going to like completely trigger someone sure. in the audience and keeping that in the back of my mind while I'm doing scenes is kind of important that it's not just the players here. It's the people that have joined us for a stream or for a podcast that are listening that could possibly be triggered by something. Mm-hmm. And how do you, as a leader and a community manager, how do you either prepare them for possible triggers or, you know, handle once someone has been triggered by your stream or podcast, you may never know. Sure. They may never come back to your stream again, or they may never, you know, there's a lot of people that will pop into a stream and lurk and watch. Um, and then if, you know, something hits them wrong, they'll just leave and you've triggered someone and you're not even aware of it. And that's a good point. I didn't even think about until now, at least that, that you're, you know, your community, especially if you're trying to develop a following, um, is more than just the players. Your community is also the viewers and the audience and the watchers. And when we're talking about, you know, streaming and stuff like that, that's a good point. You need to make sure your audience is aware of, you know, what, what might be in store so they can prepare themselves. And so you're not losing people and you're not, they're not feeling like they're unwelcome in this place because something is something they, you know, weren't told to expect. Yeah, I think the uh, the the biggest thing is to just keep that in your mind, and if you can put trigger warnings or what is it, content warnings, CW sure, yeah. on some of like if you upload your stuff to YouTube, there's not a whole lot you can do because people will pop in and out on Twitch. You know, if it's it's a live stream, you can't stop the stream every five seconds to content warning something. It, it's just kind of it's a mood breaker, right? But you can at the beginning. And you can at the end and you can when you upload stuff to YouTube or when you produce it on a podcast, they give you the description link. You can always put those content warnings there to kind of let people know that are coming in fresh that, hey, this is what, you know, is involved in this particular episode that might. And you're not going to catch it every time. You know, like you said, somebody may have drowned or been in a, a situation where, you know, water is a trigger for them. And it's just a nonchalant episode where people are getting caught in you know a water trap or something that triggers someone and you're not going to catch that i think intent needs to be reintroduced into the equation Mm. um because sometimes you can trigger someone without meaning to and that doesn't make you a bad person you need to accept responsibility that it happened but it wasn't an intention intentional action it wasn't malicious yeah and the person that was triggered needs to be able to except that that wasn't a malicious intent and that's how you can come together and and make that a meaningful occasion rather than just an argument i'll give you an example if that makes sense yeah i'll give you an example from my real life um i have a cat phobia like genuinely i don't i've like frightened of cats (laughs) um it's not as bad as it used to be and I'm not scared of cats in, in media, for example, but if I'm staying at a friend's house and um, I woke up and uh, his cat was sat on my chest. <laughs> so <laughs> I had a really horrible morning <laughs> with this creature. It was just be, per, sat there purring perfectly. Like I was fine. It wasn't an aggressive cat or anything, but just for me as a person with a cat phobia, that was like the worst thing ever. I did not like enjoy that at all. That's not my friend's fault that he has a cat. And I knew he had a cat when I was going there, but that's, that's that still happened. And I had an unpleasant time because of it, <laughs> but that's not his fault. Like it, it was, it, it was unpleasant and I, I didn't enjoy it but there was no malicious intent. It was just a thing that happened. Um, Were you able to move past that and, and you're abs- still friends? Absolutely. He's my, he's my best friend. We've been best friends for like 25 years, but um, yeah, it's not something that, you know, I would hold a grudge against him for. Um, it's a, re- it's a reality that people have pet cats. Um, it's not something that I can avoid <laughs> realistically, unless I want to be a hermit. Um, so it's the you know, appeal of being a hermit has <laughs> from well, time to time. It's, I will say it it's, it's been somewhat enforced this year as well. <laughs> we've had a, we've all had a little slice of the hermit life, I think, this year. Um, yeah, that's true. But as I say, it's not something that I would, you know, I'm not trying to trivialize anybody's um, 
I hope I'm not being facetious when I say this. That's that's a genuine thing that happened to me. Um, that was to me subjectively absolutely horrifying. But to anybody, somebody else would have been, oh look, a kitty, you know. And I think that's yeah. that's. I'm a big, big, strong dude. It's not like I'm, you know, I've got nothing to be afraid of from a cat. But that's just my own subjective things, and it's not something that I can um be mad at other people for it's just something i've got to get on with but at the same time it would be it's nice to have that respected it wasn't anything that he did that allowed he didn't put the cat on me <laughs> it just came it just came in and sat on me um so and i think that that's just something you have to deal with sometimes in life i think that just goes to show that especially uh with the tabletop communities just the more you know, you got to just try, just do your best to think about these kind of things. Nobody could have prepared, you know, for whether knowing if you were scared of a cat or not, or, or, you know, that he, you would wake up with it on your chest, even if your friend did know you were afraid of a cat. Um, but I think just any willingness at all to show that like you're open to try to discuss these things, to do your best to be aware of these types of things, to avoid triggers. I think that's kind of the first step. Mm. Um, but why don't we take a quick break and we will thank our sponsors and so we can come back and continue to talk about this topic. This episode of Dice Talk is brought to you by ShadowMarketPins.com. The Shadow Market is an awesome website where you can buy high quality, custom made hard enamel pins that you cannot find anywhere else. The Shadow Market focuses on pins and stickers that often put a twist on popular characters and geek figures such as superheroes, monsters, aliens, anime characters, and other pop culture icons. The Shadow Market also has options for character commissions for Dungeons & Dragons and other tabletop role-playing games. The Shadow Market even offers a monthly subscription box where you can receive the newest custom pins every month for an extremely affordable price. These custom pins are limited edition, and they often sell out very quickly. So make sure that you go to shadowmarketpins.com and check out this month's pins before it's too late. Once again, that is shadowmarketpins.com. Check it out and enter the shadows today. In a world where adventure awaits and danger lurks around every corner, an unlikely group of friends find themselves on the path to becoming heroes. But school will only get them halfway. Merlin, the human warlock barber guy. Oh god, no, I gotta buff his butt! No! Can I refuse business? Ubo, the turtle artificer. Well, it doesn't work yet, but uh, I'm working on it. Altrex, the discarded Warforged Paladin. I don't eat or sleep or wear clothes, so I just sit in the corner and wait. And Clyde, the Goliath Barbarian in skinny jeans. They're called skinny pelts, okay? Find us on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast by searching for Halfway to Heroes. And we are back. So before our break, we were talking a lot about how it's just you want to be aware of different people's triggers and things that um, you might might upset them. But I think it's also worth opening a dialogue to know what kind of things, you know, maybe they're a little bit afraid of, but it's not going to cause some sort of phobic reaction, especially if you're running like a horror campaign mm-hmm. to try to make it a little bit spooky. Um, you know, our main topic today is community and a big part of community. Think of the word communication. I think it all comes back to communication. A community at the end of the day is just an ex- it's a place where you can exchange ideas. Communication is just mm-hmm. an exchange of ideas. So I think the main thing that you need to focus on is letting everyone know you're open to exchange ideas and um, I think actually, Joe, I filled out one of your surveys before for, um, you know, wanting to apply for a nerd asylum project. And you asked those kind of things on like an application, like what kind of things are you interested? Why, why did you want to be a part of this game? Or what things might your character be afraid of? What things might your character, you know, like you, you ask all these details because you want to provide an experience for your players that's going to be interesting, that's going to be fun, that's going to challenge them in an intellectual way. Um, and I think just, 
communicating those types of things, whether it's for your three friends around your table, or if it's in your case, you're running multiple games for multiple systems on a giant online community. I think communication is the main key thing you need to focus on if you're going to run any sort of community. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Communication is the key to any successful community. Um, and any successful organization or uh, business or anything, communication is key to interactions among humans. Mm -hmm. um, you cannot have an interaction that doesn't involve good communication or it devolves into an argument. Yeah, I see what you're saying. If you can, if you can just open communication and be straightforward with what you're trying to say, um, you can avoid getting in an actual heated argument. I feel like a lot of times when people disagree, they're just, it's like they're not seeing what the other person's trying to say. And a lot of times both people are actually in agreement already. It's just the way they're saying yeah. things. And even if you do disagree, uh, you know, you're with your friends, you're playing a game because that's how you want to spend your free time. And I think just saying like, I'm here to try to listen to what did you like? What did you not like? And then actually use that feedback and apply it. So a lot of listeners might know I am a teacher for my career and you gather a lot of data and, but if you don't use that data, it's kind of just a waste of time and effort. And it's, it's a headache is what it is. But if you apply that data, you actually can make a positive change in the, in the community. In my case, it's a classroom in the case of a, of a D and D community online or a couple of your friends around a table, you have to actually listen, be willing to really listen to what they say. Don't just ask the question to one, be polite, but be genuine think about what they're really saying and then and then adapt your game for them because it's not just about you you need to have fun sure but everyone has to have fun or you know don't be mean and kick them off but maybe it's best for them to go play in a different game and not to exclude them but you have that conversation well this is how this game might be um so if you don't like those types of things maybe you should just find a different game and that's why that app you were talking about earlier sounds is really awesome i like that kind of filtering mm. feature on it um, but do you ever, so we've all DM'd multiple times, the three of us, have you ever, do you, do you normally like ask these questions at session zero? And then you, do you come back and keep asking them throughout the campaign? What did they like? What did they not like? How is their character changing and developing? Cause I feel like you can also use these details to build the world and help them develop their character. Cause you know, it's one thing, what are they afraid of? But what is their character afraid of? Let's give your player a stake in the world, isn't it? Essentially. Yes, absolutely. Um, Again, this is where I've seen some personal growth because at the beginning of all this, session zeros were a, what do I need a session zero for? We're all getting together to play a game. Whatever. Mm -hmm. It was that I'm good enough that I don't need a session zero kind of mentality. But as I've developed and as I've kind of grown over the years, I've realized that session zeros are essential not only for me as a DM, but for all the players to get together and to kind of set, this is our expectation for this game, whether exactly. it be a one shot or a long-term campaign or a project that you're working on, you all need to be on the same page. And session zeros are basically just communication tools. They're the ability to sit down with the, this particular group of people and communicate expectations Absolutely. and limits. Absolutely. I think that's a key point, not just for um, role-playing, but just for life in general. If you want to have smooth interactions with people, manage expectations, theirs and your own. Um, as long as people are honest and upfront about communicating what their expectations are from any given situation, and you're honest with yourself about what your expectations are from that same situation, then, you know, you know everybody has some idea of what to expect and isn't going to be blindsided by some awkward new situation, <laughs> which I think is what, you know, upsets a lot of people. If you know going yeah. in that, you know going in that this is going to be a horror game with strong gory elements or whatever, if it's called, if the game's called the Splatterhouse Five or something like that, you know, you know, <laughs> and you're aware of that. And you, when you apply to go in and ask you about your interest in horror films and et cetera, et cetera, then, you know, you, that's, your expectations managed and you don't end up with somebody who wants to um, build a peaceful farming community somewhere, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think that's where most arguments stem from is the, uh, the difference in expectations or the, the drop of expectations. Someone comes in with a certain expectation and it's not discussed up front. So when those expectations are not met, 
you have conflict. Mm -hmm. And session zeros are important to establish those expectations. And then you need to have, like I said, those uh, after session, uh, you know, cool downs is what I call them, where you just hang out for a little bit. You talk about not just the session, but, you know, things that are going on in life. You kind of have these cool down sessions and, and just kind of let people process the session and come back to anything that, well, I expected this to happen, but this is how it went. And you can kind of keep those expectations and keep tabs on how those expectations are changing because that's where that empathy comes in. You have to have the empathy to make adjustments when expectations aren't being met because you can start with some expectations and as the game or the community or whatever develops, those expectations can change over time. Character motivations can change over time. And if you're not keeping in touch with your players or your community as to what those changing expectations are, you're setting yourself and the community up for disappointment, mm-hmm. which is where conflict arises. And I think the, the important, I think it's important to state that these things don't have to be a chore. There's some of my fav- favorite moments is just hanging out after we've recorded something and just chatting about what happened and having a laugh about it. And, you know, oh, I wasn't expecting that. And, you know, theorizing about what could be could go on going forward. And as a DM, I think you have that. Um, again, you're managing that group. So instead of taking away from this, oh, well, I can't do so and so now, I think, well, I could do something else that would be more in keeping with what my player wants and my play or players want. Um, and it makes, will make them feel more like they have a stake in how the game's being played. And again, I think that's maybe due to maybe diff, like different generational uh, perspectives about what D and D is or how it should be played in massive quotation marks, whether it's a, um, you know, Oh, the DM should be out to kill the players all the time. Um, every monster should be a puzzle and, a t- the ultimate success of a DM is a TPK. As like, not everybody wants to play um, tactical miniature battles and you know have combat heavy uh, things. Just as an extreme example, you know, um, sometimes people do want to have more downtime or do get you know be rewarded for trying to solve problems in different ways um, outside of combat. And if you actually take that into consideration and don't let your, for example, your bad feel like a spare prick at a wedding by just having them <laughs> never get to use any of their special abilities because they're constantly uh, dungeoneering, um, then you're just going to end up with a pissed off bad and a pissed off bad equals a pissed off group. And nobody has any fun. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, just, there is no wrong way and there is no right no. way to play a game. I agree. You can buy it. You can go to the store and buy a, t- uh, a board game, right? And you can bring it home and you can sit down with friends or family and you can decide that I don't like this rule. We're going to change this rule to make it more mm-hmm. fun for everybody, right? It's the same concept with D&D. There is no right way and there is no wrong way to play. The The only thing that matters is that everybody at the table is having a good time. Absolutely. Absolutely. It shouldn't feel and like a massive as chore. As a DM, <laughs> it's your job to make sure that everyone is having a good time, mm-hmm. including yourself. Yeah, it's Absolutely. subjective in nature, and it's like designed to be open for interpretation. I mean, we have an entire podcast uh, discussing the playing this game. You know, we don't have a whole podcast discussing how to play Risk because it is set in stone, but, uh, but you can't change the rules. But D&D, I think specifically more than and, and tabletop games in general, are designed... Uh, with the intent by the designer saying like, you can change it. Like it actually says in Mm. dungeon master's guide and you know, you are the DM, you change it. These are suggestions. Like these are part of the official rules telling you, you can change them. And I think that's important because you need, it's not like it's a tournament or something. It's not like a game that's competitive in that sense. You're playing with your friends. You're making any world. It can be, (laughs) it could be like if they had some sort of arena combat, but (laughs) Um, no, not time for plugging that just yet. Um, I know earlier or a, mem- a moment ago we were talking about, you know, you open up that kind of cool down, you know, that cool down period after the game, after the session, and it gives you time to discuss certain things. Um, and this just came to me. I've never actually tried this, but I think a really good way to facilitate that would be maybe 
after every session, you and everyone sit down and then you write the notes out for the session together. Mm. And maybe, so you're discussing what happened and you're remembering things rather than having a note keeper take notes the whole time. Now, maybe they can, but maybe just at the end of every session, you, okay, cool. So what are the notes for tonight's session? And one person says, oh, well, first we did this and then this happened. And then you're bouncing off each other. Oh, remember, then we did this. And then this guy said this to us. And now you're opening up this dialogue and it's giving you an opportunity to discuss certain situations, giving you, everyone's going to have a, you know, be more engaged because they remember the story more. Um, And I, you know, that's just something I thought of. I haven't tried it, but I think that would be a good way. And I'm sure there's many different ways, but to kind of facilitate that discussion rather than just like sitting everyone down and, and kind of saying like, okay, guys, so what did we not like? What did we like? You can get to it more organically. Yeah, it shouldn't. It shouldn't ever be a chore like that. Yeah, I think a lot of the time it it, it does just happen like that anyway. You have like a a post match analysis of your own session. It just happens. It's like, oh, I remember when you did this, and then so and so did that, and then the ogre came in, and then you would cast fireball, and then so and so. You know, it it does happen like that. And if you if people are excited when that's happening, that means they're having a good time generally. Um. Yeah, it's the ultimate compliment from a DM when they, our cooldown sessions um, are 100% organic. They're not structured in any way. Mm. What they are is click, okay, we're off stream. And then I make sure that I make time after the stream, usually about an hour. You know, some people have to leave, some people jet, some people hang out. But I make sure that I have time as the DM to hang out and let people not only talk about the session, but talk about how the session affected, you know, the notes that they took prior mm. or continuity loops that they've maybe noticed. Because let's be honest, some people take better notes than I can keep track of. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, you know, certain names will come up that I'm like, oh, I already used that name. Is that the same character? Oh, you know, I have somebody that does t- take meticulous notes during the session, which is great because then we can go back and use that information to make the story better. But at the end, when we're cooling down and everybody's talking about their favorite moments or, you know, how that affects their character, where they see their character going, the conspiracy theories, you can kind of see what they liked and what they didn't Mm -hmm. like through their reactions. And it's a very organic and, and just, it's just making time to make sure that we're hanging out and that we're talking about, things organically that were important to them and i want to re-emphasize that although we're sort of covering some quite heavy ground this doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be processed in a heavy way as we're saying It, it it a lot of the time it will kind of happen organically anyway it's just as a dm you're being prepared to listen to that um, as it happens organically and, and process it and into you know indicators of what people are and aren't enjoying. And if you're not sure, ask. There's no, there's no harm in in asking um, whatsoever. Uh, I mean, I have the home game that I was in, on hiatus now because of lockdown. But we've had a couple of remote sessions, but that's people consists of people I've known twenty years or more, and I still like having those. Um, those moments afterwards, even though I'm pretty confident I could manage their expectations backwards in my sleep, <laughs> it's still, it's still good to have those moments. If for no other reason than it's, it's, you know, it's positive reinforcement that you're doing a good job. If you're consistently getting good feedback from your players after a session, then you're probably doing all right. Um, and if you're not, then that's something that you can look to, um, take into consideration and, you know, address next time. Um, but it's not, you know, it doesn't have to be a, a, a chore it, and it shouldn't be, it should be, you know, a pleasure because at the end of the day, what you're doing is playing a game with your friends. And I think that's especially true, um, a true point for us to consider as people who do this. I'm not going to say professionally because you've seen our operation, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, for people who do it on a, you know, a, for now, on a on a, a broadcast kind of basis, I guess, uh, on a, a sort of a more performative way, um, it's important for us to you know remember that we're all just nerds having fun at the, at the end of the day. Um, mm-hmm. So I'd, I'm for, I'm all for like hanging out after 
after we've had a session or whatever, because it's, you know, it's just nice to connect with another human being and not pretending to be an elf with a strange accent or whatever, you know? Right, just being yourself. Yeah, just your being friends. yourself. It's it's nice to be able to do that. Uh, and we should all be good about that. We've been focusing a lot on our, our own smaller communities that we're all personally involved with, kind of these microcosms like the Nerd Asylum or One Shot on Slaughter, Majestic Goose or all those types of things. But I think it's worth taking a moment to kind of discuss the larger D&D and tabletop community as a whole. It's one of the most inclusive communities that I've seen, at least mm. the a lot of the players and a lot of the people that are involved with it. I mean, you go on Twitter, Instagram, anything. It's, you know, Reddit. It's a lot of people and a lot of the focus is on like being inclusive and, and making sure groups feel appreciated and, and groups of all types of people, regardless of. Uh, you know, their gender, sexual orientation, their culture, religion, their ethnic background, all these things. I feel like from what I see on my feeds and stuff, it's very like positive and very focused on like everyone is welcome. And they and it's not that it's just like everyone is welcome. They verbally express this. They're making it clear. Mm. This is a safe place for everyone. This giant community is where everyone is welcome. Um, it's like this larger community where I, I feel like most of the people I've encountered are just overall cheerful people nice people wanting to be friends with everybody uh wanting to get involved with your projects get on your podcast you're on their podcast they're in your game you're on their game you just meet these people i feel like just the whole tabletop community overall is very inclusive and very positive um joe you run you know like one of these microcosm communities do you make an effort to do this or you think it's more organic just because it attracts so many types of people i think see I adhere to quality over quantity, and I think most, the majority of the tabletop community does so as well. Um, and I think that's that's the organic inclusivity that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, there are microcosms and small communities that are not inclusive. They are out there. They're very vocal, but they're a minority. And I think as long as we continue to be inclusive and organically inclusive and we keep the doors open and we invite people to play with us that we normally don't get a chance to play with, um, that offers perspectives that we don't normally see. Absolutely. Um, and opens our eyes to growth, both personal and as a community, right? Mm. Um, I'm a very different person now than I was three, four years ago in a good way. Um, I. I'm, a, I'm for all intents and purposes, appearance wise, I am a cis white guy, right? I am the antithesis of the inclusivity movement, right? What movement, um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and three or four years ago, I wasn't as open to this concept because it felt directed at me. Mm hmm. You know, inclusivity was an aggressive movement towards not necessarily, necessarily excluding cis white guys, but it was directed at that group of people. And I was in that group of people. So I kind of took it personally when I first started opening a community. And, you know, because sure. before the community was a thing, it was just me and some friends yeah, yeah, yeah. and we were hanging out. Um my friends happen to be very inclusive. I have lots of uh, different, diverse friends, but I myself am a cis white guy as far as people can tell. So when we start first started opening ourselves up and becoming a wider community and we opened the doors to people coming in and joining us, um, it was it was hard for me to make an adjustment and keep my mind open when people were directing their opinions and thoughts towards me in an aggressive manner. I had to open my perspectives and open my mind and allow that to, to become a thing that I was willing to listen to, not just hear, but listen mm -hmm. to. Um, and then the empathy can grow from there to include other people other people's perspectives in that manner um and not take personal offense to it absolutely that's that's the most important thing and if it wasn't for the very small minority of extremely vocal non-inclusive people 
it wouldn't it wouldn't be the case that it would be you know it's not it would that it's not good enough for us to just sit back and not say anything um because if we do that as cis white presenting people we're letting them speak for us i don't want a bunch of non-representative nazis or whatever um discriminated bigots i don't want those people speaking for me or for the hobby that i enjoy as a whole so it's incumbent on us to be vocal about right. uh, uh, making it inclusive for everybody otherwise that's the impression that people come away with is that it's a bunch of angry white virgins in their mom's basement um oh I adhere to actions speak louder than words. So mm-hmm. I am not vocal on social media in these regards. What I do is I make sure that I am practicing by my actions mm-hmm. the things that I am seeing being told. Yeah, absolutely. Um, listening, listening to those voices and then making sure that I'm taking the actions that they're asking mm-hmm. us to take. Um <laughs> It's a very hard balance to make because there are so many voices out there and you have to kind of go through and, and decide, do you need to be vocal? Do you need to be, or is that uh, stepping over and sure. you know, there's, there's, you don't want to speak for other people. Each, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to speak for them. You want to lift their voices up. And how do we do that? Through our actions. Because our actions speak louder than our words. Yeah. Um, you can get on Twitter and you can type in 140 characters every day for three years and no one will care. But if you're out there and you're inviting them to your tables and you're actively trying to get them engaged and lift them up, what, regardless of who they are, yeah. the people, you know, being inclusive is not just a race or gender or LGBTQ. It's socioeconomic, it's uh, geographic, it's diversity is diversity. So you, you just, you go out there and you act on lifting up perspectives and voices that don't normally have a voice. Absolutely. Absolutely. And allowing them, not, not allowing, um, encouraging them to join your table. Yeah. Uh, you, it's not, uh, yeah, as I say, it's not. Uh, a case of allowing anybody to do anything it's not our place or uh you know yeah it's not our place to do that uh but certainly encouraging people to come forward and and i would welcome more diverse voices to any game that i wanted to be part of um and if they want to make their own table supporting that as well yeah absolutely absolutely not every game needs to have me in it (laughs) 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 absolutely not Well, with this uh, focus on finding ways to include people in our communities, we have reached the end of this episode. Um, Joe, can you tell some of our listeners how they can get involved with your community that you um, are running, the Nerd Asylum? And then also, if there's just any other bit of information that you think uh, you want to leave our listeners with before we go. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, Be kind to each other. Be someone's light. There's so much darkness in the void that light is hard to find sometimes. So be someone's light, be someone's kindness. Um, but yeah, you can find us at the Everything we do is, in, uh, is there. We've kind of uh, centralized everything so that all we have to plug is the nerdasylum.com. Awesome. Nice. What about you, Sean? Do you got anything you want to leave us with? Um, really just don't be a dick. Uh, would be the main thing I would just sort of take away. Don't be a dick. Like, it's not shameful to be empathetic to people. It's not, uh, kindness is not weakness. Um, and it takes more strength to be inclusive than it does to shut everybody out. As always, I just wanted to take some time to say thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope that our discussions were able to entertain and inspire you. Do you have an idea for a guest you'd like to hear us interview? Or perhaps a topic you'd like to hear us discuss on the show? Questions, we want to just say hi by going to dicetalkpod.com. There, you can stay up to date on all the latest Dice Talk news and streaming schedules. Also, be sure to go to majesticgoose.com where you can check out all the awesome tabletop shows that we offer on the network. If you want to find us on social media, you can do so on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 
Just search Dice Talk and start following us today. You can also get in touch with us by sending us an email to dicetalkshow at gmail.com. And if you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. They really help to get us to the top of the charts so that we can reach as many listeners as possible. Leaving us a review lets us know how you feel and it is the best way that you can support the show right now. Don't forget to tell your friends about us and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. I'll talk to you next time on Dice Talk. A Majestic Goose Podcast. Oh.